Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the latest special super duper crossover event that has brought the Empire Film Podcast and the Pilot TV Podcast together in association with Disney Plus. And that special event is to discuss the launch on Disney Plus of the eagerly anticipated, one of the most highly critically rated shows of the year, making its debut over here on Disney Plus on Wednesday, October 5th. It is, of course, The Bear. Christopher Storer's fantastic comedy drama about a high-profile chef played by Jeremy Allen White, whose very name alone conjures images of Michelin star winning chefs, who comes back to Chicago, his hometown of Chicago, to run a sandwich shop that was bequeathed to him by his brother after his brother's death. And joining me to discuss this smart, sumptuous, snackable show in all its glory are James Dyer, my CDC... That's not Center for Center Disease, for disease Control. control. No, wow. it's not that. It's not that. Is that, is that a sous chef? Is that a CDC? Uh, no, that's the that's the guy who kind of runs the thing. Oh, is it? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't understand yeah. any of this. This this terminology they use in the kitchen. So I'm baffled. But we'll get into this. Nor nor do I entirely. But I think I have more of a grasp on it than you, having seen several episodes of MasterChef. Uh, who's the guy in the kitchen who puts the peri peri salt on the chips? <laughs> Can I be him? Yes, that's the chef de partie. Excellent. Because there's no party without that chef. <laughs> P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta. <laughs> oh my oh, God, it's wow. I-E, James. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> oh. This podcast is going to be taking us through a t- tumultuous, torturous uh, trek through James's knowledge of, of chefs and the cooking world. It's going, to be, <laughs> it's going to be quite something. Hold on to your hats, folks. Uh, we're also joined by our sous chef, the one and only Beth Webb. Hello, Hello, Beth. Hello, back corner. That's hello, chef, to you, Beth. Hello, chef. Thanks, chef. God. We, chef. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Just call me Jeff. But how are you both? Uh, uh, Hungry, and I think that is not going to be helped by talking about this show over the course of the next hour. But also very excited to talk about the show, snackable and all. Snackable, you can you can devour it because it's only eight half hour episodes, oh. and I love that. My my a genuine genuine applause for any showrunner out there who brings a show in under well an hour these days would be great, <laughs> but uh, half an hour is just fantastic. Mm. So yes, well done to Christopher Store, uh, which is also a fantastic place to store all your Christophers. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> should, should you wish to, should you have a surplus of Christopher's and you want to store them somewhere, then I can heartily recommend Christopher's store. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, this is this is this is a fantastic show. Uh, uh, I heard a lot about it. It's been critically acclaimed in the states, where it, it's been playing for uh, a little while now. And you know, I've seen Jeremy Allen White's face on numerous articles and numerous magazine covers, and I was just I was full of intrigue about the show. Because I didn't quite know what it was. Is it, you know, is it a half hour sitcom? Was it a hard hitting drama? And I think one of the great things about The Bear is that it's kind of both. It mixes those tones. It mixes those those worlds. It mixes comedy and drama quite beautifully, which in a half hour format is something I've rarely seen. Yeah, I think with me, I went into this expecting this. I didn't see any kind of marketing around it. It just sort of grew by word of mouth, which in itself is a real testament to the show. But I went in expecting this to be a drama and then was just so taken by how incredibly funny the show is and how it manages to muster comedy and heart, even in some incredibly dark, sticky, stressful moments. Um 
But yeah, I really, there were moments of this I really, really laughed out loud. Uh, without getting into spoilers, there's a moment involving a birthday party that um, yes. is being catered for by by Kami. And that ends in a way that shouldn't be funny, but is incredibly funny. Uh, and I'll say no yes. more. <laughs> and it's all grounded humour, yes. Jimbo, which I'm sure must appeal to you because you don't like ha 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 obvious laugh out loud humour, do you? No, I don't like humour that exists in a kind of heightened comedic state, which is why I rarely enjoy sitcoms, uh, because they don't ring true to me. Whereas this is exactly my kind of humour, where it's dramatically grounded. Like, it's a dramatic situation, and there's just people being funny within the drama. And I think the juxtaposition of the two things works really well for me. So, like, if I were watching this, I wouldn't necessarily class this as a comedy, to my mind. Obviously, I'm not the best judge of these things. But uh, it's <laughs> uh, to me, this is a, an incredibly stressful drama that's yes. also extremely funny. Mm. Um, but the stress and and i you know sometimes you know high stress shows can be quite difficult to watch the thing with this is it's high stress but it's actually very very compelling you can't stop watching it so it, i think the stress while it does convey across to the to the viewer to a certain amount it's in a good way it's positive stress mm. everything can be said to exist but you know what i mean well one of the things i've seen <laughs> I, I do i do know what you mean but it's interesting because i think the world of of high-end Cooking, not not even high end cooking. Just working in a in a in a sandwich restaurant like this, yep. where the turnover is so high, and you have to get you have to get in really really early to prep. And you know, being a being a chef, being a cook, and being in the kitchen for one of these things is a grind. It is a slog. You're doing, you know, my understanding is from you know talking to chefs over over the years, is that you're doing a sometimes 16, 18 hour day and you're doing that every day of the week and you have to be driven and you have to have that desire to grind and you have to be able to take knocks and you have to be able to take nicks and you have to be able to take burns and all that mm. sort of stuff because at the end of the day, the focus is upon your food. That's why I think I'm 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 drawn to stuff like this and you know all the cooking shows that I watch because I love watching genius at work and I love watching hard work give way to something mm. that's the thing about food for me is that there's something tangible at the end of it and even though you can't eat it when you're seeing it in a show like this you can still appreciate the effort and the artistry mm. that went into something like this it's such a high pressure situation and I think the show does a phenomenal job of getting that across to the point where Pretty much every single review I saw of this show, both here and in the States, compared it to Uncut Gems. Yeah. <laughs> and it has that similar staccato, rapid fire, just machine gun pace. And you are thrown in with a guy, Carmi in this case, played by Jeremy Allen White. And you're thrown into this kitchen with him and his, and his staff and his team. And you gradually get to know them. But it is, you're just dropped in and you're not given a life raft. Mm. And the thing that I think is fantastic about the show for me is that how quickly you become acclimatized to that pace. And it doesn't feel like Uncut Gems is a great film, but I think it's a heart attack in, <laughs> as, as we said, I think our mm. review of it said it's a heart attack in, in cinematic form. <laughs> and this isn't that. There is a warmth and a humanity here that gradually unfolds. You know, the first episode drops you in. The second episode, you begin to get to know the characters and you begin to get to see the warmth in all these characters. And by by episode five or six, I would throw myself in the way of a hot knife for pretty much everyone in the show. Yes, I fully, fully concur with that. There's such a... 
I we see grounded a lot, but there's just such a grounded lovability to each and every person in this ensemble cast, even the ones that are really, really hard to love. I'm thinking especially of Richie, who is Kami's cousin, uh, in the show played by Ebon Moss uh, Backrack, who has just shown up in Andor, if uh, timings permit with this. Um, and you really shouldn't like this guy. He's a real piece of work. He's a real burnout. He's purposefully, you know, from the opening scene, going out of his way to put Kami down and has his reasons. He was friends with Kami's brother who died by suicide. So it's obviously been a very traumatic time for everybody, but he's also just a real wrong'un and does a really <laughs> like scandalous, you know, you want to boo him through the screen, but then you get these moments with him where he's not just redeemable, but like lovable. And that is just such a testament to the writing, but also the performances in this. The performances in this cast across the board, whether it's someone playing a pastry chef or Kami himself, which I mean, we'll get into that later, but just so airtight and passionate and hitting all those comedic beats, but also the dramatic beats as well, the emotional beats, they get it so, it's like a kitchen in itself, isn't it? And they're all pumping each other up and bringing each other down and and it's just wonderful. And then there's this great through line as well through it. There's a sort of mentor-mentee relationship between Kami and Sydney, who's the new recruit at the restaurant. And she joins because it was her dad's favorite restaurant. He used to go there with her all the time. Um, Ayo Edebiri, this is. I hadn't seen her in anything before this, but oh my goodness, as as international breakouts go, this is just brilliant. So yeah, I'm um I'm just bowled over by every single person in this show, with like without fault. Yeah, the cast is fantastic. And uh, I think one of the great things about it is that they they all seem so rounded. Mm. You know, rounded grime, rhymes were grounded, so we might as well <laughs> go for that. And Evan Moss Backrack is—he you know, was micro in the Punisher series uh, alongside alongside John Bernthal. And uh, there's uh, so if you want to, if you want to, if you want to binge on Evan Moss Backrack, you can just fire up the Punisher on <laughs> Disney Plus after this, and then throw in an episode of Andor. Why not? All thematically very similar. All thematically very, very similar <laughs> indeed. This is as intense as The Punisher. Uh, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me. Like, you know, if you watch that performance in, in, the, in The Punisher as Micro, you know, he is a phenomenally good actor. This is, this is chalk and cheese. I don't believe you should put chalk into food. Cheese, I believe, is a food. So you buy and you eat the that. food. Don't make the food. <laughs> Don't make the food. Don't yes, talking of the cheese. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm 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 trying to become a better cook. Uh, but maybe I should put some less chalk in. I don't know. Uh, but Jimbo, uh, where do you stand on on the show's characters? Uh, the thing that this is, this is nothing like an Aaron Sorkin show, mainly because you the people have much harder edges and spikier exteriors. But there's something about this where the dialogue is not just organic and believable, but it's also like it feels like you wish you could talk this way. You wish you were this quick. You wish your rejoinders were that spot on. And the yeah. screenwriting is extraordinary. Mm. And I think it's exactly as you said, like I don't know anything about how a kitchen works. My understanding of food is like you take the hot water, you pour it in the pot noodle, then you open the little sachet of sauce sauce and you pour it in. <laughs> and the food is ready, you know, and I take pride in that kind of preparation. But uh, then you, you add some chalk. You, you just uh, <laughs> add the chalk and the cheese. Grate but, some chalk over it. 
you know, so I don't really understand how a kitchen is supposed to work. But in from a from a character point of view, from a dramatic point of view, every single person feels like they're their cog, their particular size, different cog in this machine, all working in harmony. And you can't yeah. imagine it working. Like take out one of them, and it feels like it would break. Like they all yeah. contribute to this larger whole. Uh, and I enjoyed it immensely. And the fact is that I could care less about food generally it just doesn't you know i eat to live i'm not like the the most complicated culinary decision i ever make in a week is just hot medium lemon and herb like that is it but but <laughs> with sake. this like it just i got quite excited by this and i was drawn into it and i cared and that's partly because the characters are sympathetic and interesting and real and three-dimensional but it's also because you know you you're rooting for this restaurant and you're actually you know i want to know why this dessert that he prepared in new york had five different types of plums in it tell me <laughs> about the reduction. Tell me about this special thing that has to be boiled for 10 hours and the other thing that needs to be constantly said that requires nine people to make this dessert. I'm suddenly like, a dessert? It takes nine people and five different types of plums? Tell me more. Like, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought it was wonderful. And then, of course, you know, we've 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 talked about you know what this feels like. Uncut gems. It has big safty energy, absolutely. But you know, this evoked to me uh, <laughs> boiling point. You know, Stephen Graham's boiling mm. point, which is again another show which is set in a kitchen, and it has that film, actually. same. I, I believe it's called a film. These longer shows that uh, that are about ninety minutes <laughs> oh, long. Oh, that's right, that's right. It's a so it's a one-off single. TV event cinematic presentation, right? I understand that. That yeah, it was a TV movie that, oh. that debuted exclusively on the <laughs> yeah, big screen. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. So the, this film of which you speak, you know, has that same energy, and it's just the stress of that environment. I I can't imagine as we sit here chatting about it on this podcast for our jobs what it must be like to work under that kind of stress in that kind of environment. But it's wild. There's something so appealing in how Kami and Sydney, through their new partnership, want to break the system. So that's a big mm -hmm. part, I think, of why this show wins is I think that is, you know, it's it's very focused, laser focused on this small kitchen, but also how they want to break the industry and make it more respectful, less, yeah. you know, have less of these patterns of cruelty and bullying. And really, you could drop that into any industry. There's something so yeah. universally appealing about their mission to simultaneously make really, really, really good food, but also break down all the stigmas, break down the stress mm -hmm. and the cruelty and, and you know, just this idea of, well, I had to go through it, so now you have to go through it. They really want to hmm. break that chain. And then you see wonderful impacts of, of how that is. I'm thinking of one of the early episodes begins with this wonderful sequence. Um, there's a guy called Marcus who's really inspired by... Kami, yes. played by Lionel Boyce. Again, someone I hadn't heard of before, but I will be following closely now. He's just making donuts. He's making donuts. Yep. There's this great David Byrne song playing over the top of it, and he's just making donuts, and he's so inspired and happy in his field. And it's such a resounding kind of illustration of what this could be if you shake things up is that you get to make really Absolutely. gorgeous donuts. And I think that is, again, such a lovely sensory way of showing how you can be a good force for change. You know, it's, mm. as I said, laser focused on this kitchen, but paints yeah. such a big picture, really. At its heart, it's the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe may also be available on Disney Plus. I'm not sure. <laughs> I should double check that one. <laughs> but it is. It's 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 this incredibly grounded, rounded, um, 
compounded <laughs> show. <laughs> okay. Surrounded. Um, surrounded. Surround sounded uh, show. It's in probably in 5.1, isn't it? That's, okay, we can we can make that work. Uh, about, you know, working in a, in a in this incredibly intense environment. But it's also in a stealth manner about inspiration mm. and about meeting a role model and about meeting someone who inspires you to greater and greater heights. Now, I've obviously never had that in my life or career. I've met Jimbo instead. It doesn't seem like a fair trade-off, <laughs> but there we go. But it is. I mean, I think we've all probably had that in our careers. Uh, uh, you know, Beth, you've met me, so you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it on air that I am your mentor, your role model, the person who inspires you every day to be that little bit better. Uh, but, you know, it's fine. Well, we'll just take that as read. Yeah. But yeah, we've all had the person who inspires us and, and does move us and pushes on to, to greater heights. And the interesting thing is exactly what you were saying there, that it's really, really great about toxic workplaces. And it's not necessarily just toxic masculinity, but it kind of mm. is in this industry. And the the food industry uh, has attracted a lot of heat, pun unintended, over the years for that kind of genre of monster chef. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to get sued, but, you know, we can probably think of chefs who were famous because they yelled at people. And that almost became celebrated behavior. That almost became something to to copy. And over the years, there's been a real change over the years. And the focus now is on, as you say, a respectful kitchen. And you have Carmi in this, played so beautifully, I think, by Jeremy mm-hmm. Allen White, who, you know, is a survivor of trauma. Sydney is a survivor of trauma, who is slowly but surely recalibrating himself and, and quite frankly, just being the boss that he wants to be. Doesn't always mm. succeed. Sometimes he can be a bit of a hard case, especially with Sydney, but I guess he's, he's kind of employing tough love to an extent, but he certainly wants to be a better person. Mm. I think we should run this podcast like a French brigade. <laughs> that's, my, uh, that's my contribution. <laughs> but no, I th- corner. Yeah, that's it. Corner. Uh, I th- no, but I think you're right. And I think what's really interesting when Sydney turns up in the first episode and gets dropped in at the deep end, she is essentially our gateway into this show. Like we are her running around this kitchen trying to work out what the hell is going on. Well, who are these people? Why are they yelling at each other? And I think it does an excellent job of kind of putting us in her mindset and seeing the kitchen yeah. through her eyes through the first episode then gradually we kind of lean more towards Kami as we go along but I like that first episode she's our way in I think it's very effective mm. yeah but yeah <laughs> not to get too cliche right but uh, Chicago's a character in this as well yeah. isn't it <laughs> I mean this is such a great Chicago show yeah I mean there's an episode there's a speaking of boiling point the televisualized sim- cinematic event that was boiling point um there is and it's such a shame that this happened when it did there is a one take episode in this season um which would have been groundbreaking if if boiling point hadn't come out earlier this year but it actually starts with a, a song called chicago by Sufjan stevens as a way to really pay tribute to Chicago and its food culture and its swearing and all its sort of things that make it wonderful and singular and it's I've never been but it's really really made me want to go and I bet it's made quite a lot of other people want to go as well um but yeah it really draws on that location because they're they're Chicago born and bred aren't they you can almost feel it in their blood as they're talking and it's just uh yeah just a really well it's like you say we've like uncut gems in New York they're all 
really grisly off the street New York characters, aren't they? And and it's exactly the yeah. same with this. And it is a real restaurant. If you if you go to Chicago, you can actually go to the restaurant. It's not it doesn't have the same name as the restaurant in the show, but you can go there. And I love the fact that it's off the beaten path. Mm. A little bit. And Chicago is home to one of the great restaurants, a couple of the great restaurants, I, I believe, in, in the world, like three Michelin star places. Alinea is actually mentioned in the piece. And if you ever watch things like Chef's Table, that great documentary mm. series, and uh, For Grace, uh, which is another fantastic documentary by Curtis Duffy, who is the chef behind that restaurant, and Ever, which is another legendary restaurant in Chicago that I'd love to go to one day. It's just mind-blowing, the level of preparation, the level of detail that, that goes into this. I have eaten in Chicago. Have you? Yeah. What did you eat? Five guys. Oh, God. <laughs> you really do just eat to live, don't you? Just eat for fuel. In my defense, I put an awful lot in there. There were mushrooms, peppers, onions, all sorts of stuff. Like, it was it was a fully loaded Five Guys burger. Goodness so. sake. Have four different types of- shake. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have yeah, from of the pot <laughs> the machine? The shake had four, five different types of strawberries in my strawberry shake. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Well, you know, you know the hack in Five Guys, right? No. Tell me. Just have small fries. Because the small fries is the size of a small truck. <laughs> so just order small fries. And they still give you enough fries to feed a family of four. Oh my gosh. I did not know no, that. I didn't know that. Good yeah. to know. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I too, I'm a bit like Jimbo. And, and I'm a weird contradiction. And I, and I love, you know, over the years, when I, when I first met my wife, I just was not a foodie at all and I've become a bit of a foodie over the years and we love can't afford it anymore now we've got a kid but I love loved you know going to a Michelin star restaurant at least once a year and 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 having that incredible experience and the last one we had it was Jason Atherton's Pollen Street Social and it was one of the one of the greatest if not the greatest meal of my life and we got to we got to sit near the kitchen and actually Jason Atherton came over at one point and you know said hello because it was our wedding anniversary and then invited my wife over to you know have a little kind of look around the kitchen same thing happened when we went to Sat Bain's place in Nottingham he invited us in afterwards Bain to take a look a around restaurant? the kitchen he went he went oh, what a lovely what a lovely, lovely, lovely <laughs> 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 and it's just incredible going in and seeing all the workstations and seeing all the benches and seeing all the preparation that goes into this but the thing about Jason Atherton's place is that it's whisper quiet and you, it's it's got you know it's just a well-oiled machine. No shouting at each other, no swearing at each other, <laughs> no yelling in front of the customers. It's an open kitchen, so you can kind of see everything. Maybe they do their sw- their swearing and shouting somewhere else. But that's that that, that, that sort of stuff fascinates me. Mm. Like watching really really good people. It's a bit like if I got to watch a pilot TV podcast being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> Much like you know, that. Yeah, really really good people being the best that they can be. I love that stuff. And and the food, my God, Jimbo, I mean, you don't know what you're missing. The food blows your mind sometimes. I mean, some of this, some of the food is just absolutely incredible. There is a, a potato. I ate a potato, a potato. Okay. At I've Sat Bain's well. restaurant. Sat Bain's restaurant. A simple potato that had some chives on it, had a little bit of salt on it had something else on it as well that is one of the greatest things I have ever eaten. Sometimes I find myself drifting off and thinking about that potato during important conversations. Hey, look, I have eaten at the flagship Nando's in Soho, so look, my bar is reasonably high. So, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Beth, what about you? You a foodie? I 
really, I don't seek out the Michelin star stuff. I mean, I am but a lowly news editor at Empire. I can only dream of the Michelin star lifestyle. Beth, I am. I, I work for Empire too. I can't afford the stuff either. I save up. That's what we do. We save, save up. It. It's our, we don't go on holidays. We go to Michelin star restaurants. Amazing. But no, I appreciate, I appreciate a good meal invariably because of the company that comes with it. And I think that is something that I love so much about this show is that it is so much about them coming together at the end of a shift and sitting down and sharing food that they're trying out or food that they've got left over. The act of sitting with people that you care about and sharing food to me is is um, a real joy and if the food's really good that's obviously a massive massive bonus but um yeah there's something about and it's something that you said earlier Chris about how you know in the service industry as someone that's worked in the service industry for quite a long time that idea of people coming together and working in unison over something and working really hard and pulling up your sleeves and then at the end of the day there's something tangible in front of you that you've worked towards there's something so um appealing about that i think so i'm always very drawn in by that stuff and i love things like um Anthony Bourdain's books that he's written about that kind mm-hmm. of peeking behind the curtain of the of the food industry and what's that like to be in the kitchen in a real kind of he writes it in a way where it feels almost like he's a rock and roll star there's something so kind of alluring about it all and I'm a real real sucker for that stuff so this this just hit mm-hmm. every single note for me absolutely and uh, uh so what's the best meal you've ever had oh gosh do you know what? I was in New York last year and we went to somewhere called Lilia's, which is like a an Italian restaurant, like good, hearty Italian food. You, you just can't go wrong. It doesn't have to be a lot, just like a good red sauce and some good spaghetti just gets me. And this was like, <laughs> this was absolutely perfect. Just simple, perfect food always gets me. But yeah, Lilia's. Amazing. I'm, I'm going to write that one down. If you're ever in New York, try and find Jazz Palmentari's Ristorante Italiano, uh, which is Jazz Palmateri's Italian restaurant. And yes, it's Jazz Palmateri from The Usual Suspects and a Bronx Tale. And uh, that's where I had uh, dinner one night, an unforgettable dinner with Chris McQuarrie and and William Friedkin uh, (laughs) and listened to them uh, talk about the French connection for four hours over some of the best <laughs> Italian food I've ever had. Uh, being all the while nervous because I had to pay for it at the end. I wasn't sure my credit card would cover it. <laughs> so, but luckily, luckily it did in the end. Uh, I, I was hoping that Chaz might drop by and say hello, but sadly he didn't. Jim, but what about you? Best meal you've ever had. And don't give me any of that Nando's nonsense. I mean, Nando's is amazing. Nando's is incredible. I love it. We apparently are sponsored by Nando's. (laughs) Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I do love Nando's. I think for me, it's familiarity. I like familiarity in food. Like weirdly, like I'm the guy who. I look for something I know on a menu. I don't want to try new things because then I feel like, well, if I don't like it, I've wasted a meal. Like It sounds ridiculous. I like the comfort of something familiar, perhaps with a slightly new spin. So for me, like whenever I try a new curry house, the first thing I always try, always, first thing I always try is a chicken tikka masala. And it's not because that's my favourite curry, isn't it? But I think chicken tikka masala is something that every curry house does. And I think you can tell how good a curry house is by how good their chicken tikka masala is. Now, there is a curry house in High Barnet called Saruchi that does the best chicken tikka masala I've ever had. And by that, by that measure, by my own personal scale here, it is therefore the greatest Indian restaurant in the world. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's a guarantee. I don't know how many Michelin stars it has, but I'm sure it has at least 10. 
Oh my Ten word! Michelin oh my stars. Word. Ten Michelin stars for that chicken tikka masala. Absolutely true. I need to take you somewhere. Yes. I need to take you somewhere after this. I just, I like, you know, there is, I like, it's a minefield for me. Like, it's like, it's the whole thing. Like when people order off a menu, and you think people look at it as this sort of smorgasbord of opportunity, whereas I'm walking through a minefield, trying not to blow up while I find the one thing that's safe to eat. You know, that's more my experience of ordering at a restaurant. See, I don't think tasty menus would be your friend. <laughs> no, in that I don't case. think so either. Uh, you know, 18, 19, 20, the, the 20, you know, 21 uh, course dishes and you have no say necessarily in what they're going to serve you. Hard pass. Hard pass, really. Yeah. I mean, genuinely some of the greatest experiences I've ever had. Uh, Never. And there's, there are places I wish I could go to. Uh, if anyone wants to bring me to any of these places, then by all means, <laughs> get in ice touch. Ice cream is my thing. Like ice cream, like ice cream. I love, I love ice cream. I love everything about Sorry, it. Sorry, Heston, so. can I just stop you there yeah. and go straight to the ice cream, please? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Exactly that. I want ice cream made with, I don't know, 10 different types of cow or something. I don't know. But uh, do you know what I mean? Like that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for great, great ice cream. Uh, doesn't Heston do bacon and egg ice cream? That is not great ice cream. That is an abomination. How do you know? You haven't even tried it. Because it's bacon and eggs ice cream, Chris. How do you... You are... Oh, my God. You're such a troglodyte. You're just dismissing something before you've even tried it. You are me before I met my wife. It's true. You've met my wife. Why haven't you changed? I have a slightly atavistic palate. Your wife has cooked for me. She's a very good cook. She is a very good cook. Yeah. I've been to Chicago, but uh, it's a great city. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on it, but it was a fantastic city. Did you eat at Abe Froman's? No, I didn't. I, the I think we were very, king of Chicago. I think we were. <laughs> I think we were very, very um, unadventurous culinarily when we went to Chicago back in two thousand and seven. I want to say, like we, we ate at like a Morton Steakhouse for goodness' sake. You know, so we had one of the, the big it's chain like an places. Angus steakhouse. It's like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's still nice. You, you know, you get nice steak and stuff. But you know, we could have gone to one of the places. And my wife really wants to go to a Curtis Duffy restaurant. But uh, I look at the prices and they go, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> that is not going to happen. Uh, anywho, anywho, one of the interesting things about the show is that we're talking about food, and it's obviously a show about food. But it's not what I would call food porn. The camera doesn't no. linger or leer over the dishes that Carmi and his team are making in the way that, for example, John Favreau's chef or Lenny Henry's chef kind of did, <laughs> you know, and if you wanted to bring in both chefs. And yet it still makes me very hungry, but it's not that show. No. And I think there's something to note in the simplicity of the food as well. So this is essentially a sandwich shop. It's like a, a beef centric sandwich shop that prides itself on really good homemade like hearty sandwiches and I think there is something yeah that that simplicity that allows you to further interrogate it doesn't overshadow everything else happening in the in the show basically there's a whole dialogue around the food still but it isn't that complex or as you say you know it doesn't kind of pornify sexualize it doesn't sexualize yeah. the food <laughs> uh, you should never sexualize food in a kitchen because that will get you a C rating from the health and safety I, board. I think <laughs> I think D is probably the way it is a big big fat D rating. Double D. <laughs> um, but yes, I think um, there is something quite wonderful in that. But then they, they, you know, they have other dishes that they show in different parts of the show to kind of illustrate other parts of food culture and, and what can be done around that. But as I've said, the big one for me is just the big human aspect and the, the humanity mm. behind the food. I like the, I just like the 
the situation. I like the setup of taking someone who's vastly overqualified and making them do something mm. quite simple. Do you know, mm. so he's bringing this vast expertise to something quite basic beneath him, like much like having myself on this podcast. You see what I mean? <laughs> vastly overqualified, slumming it with you two. So you know, it's it's in- inherently entertaining. It really is. No chef, no <laughs> chef. Uh, speaking of chefs, my word, what a segue. See, you don't do that on your pilot TV <laughs> podcast, do you, Jimbo? Uh, let's talk about Jeremy Allen White as Carmi. Oh, so Because he's just, he's just sensational. And, he you is. know, I know he was in Shameless, but if uh, I may make a shameful admission, <laughs> I didn't watch Shameless. So he was completely new to me. And all I saw, all I'd seen before this were, were the magazine covers and all the profiles of this guy who has this very intense expression on his face. Mm. You know, he looks a bit like a young Gene Wilder. I've seen that comparison as well. Yeah. Yes. And and yet he's he doesn't deliver the performance you would think he's gonna deliver from all those intense photo shoots. There's there's something really human and warm going on here. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, in terms of showcases for performances, I don't think it gets much better than this. There is a seven-minute monologue that he does towards the end of the season, which is readily available online. I would implore you, if you've managed to avoid it, to do that and just go into the episode code and watch it. And it is just a bottled glimpse into his soul. And he does it without breaking. It's absolutely breathtaking. And I think... I mean, he's already got movie deals off the back of this. Um, he's doing something with Riz, Riz Ahmed. He's doing something to do. Oh, I don't know wrestling. He's doing a wrestling film um, where he plays one of three wrestling brothers. I don't know if that's something yes. that excites you, but uh, I think it's just, yeah, already the movie deals are coming in and I don't think it qualified for Emmys this year, but I would be amazed if it's not up for some next year. Um, and I would love to see some wins across the board for this because, yeah, he's he's just absolutely show-stopping in this, I think. Just a real powerhouse performance. And considering, yeah, he's not done that much before and is expected to do so much in this and pulls it all mm. off, I think it's quite wonderful. Obviously, the uh, the discourse around him has been quite entertaining. You know, all these kind of yes chefs and winks and things. I think he's become a bit of a weird sex symbol. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that deters from the fact that this is an incredible, incredible lead performance. Yes, he's he's glorious. Um, <laughs> like you, I've never seen Shameless either. Either one, to be perfectly honest with you. How have you never seen Shameless? You of all people who watches all shows. <laughs> yeah, well, I, there Except was a for cut off. Soul, <laughs> well, hey, I've seen that now. Uh, Match but, of the day. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't watch that or any of your kitchen nightmares nonsense. But um, oh. I just, yeah, I, I I found his performance both soulful and compelling. There's edge to it. There's heart to it. There's a vulnerability to it. Mm. And actually, I think the genius in this, weirdly, for all the stress he gives you and for all you might want to punch him in the face, I think Richie is the <laughs> genius. He's like, if, if, you, if this were a soup, if this were a soup that they make at Nando's, if this were a soup, then the, the secrets, the secret peri-peri garnish would be Richie. Like, he is the secret ingredient to this because I think his sort of toxic ball of catastrophic stressful energy I think sort of crackles through this kitchen and it provides this sort of constant fuel to keep sort of Kami moving to keep him on his back foot to keep him on his heels uh, and I think the sparring that he does with Richie because the dynamic between them is quite complex and yeah. it's quite hard to get your head around for the first few episodes like what are these two to each other and why does he defer to him and it's it's very very confusing because Richie obviously is a man who's very insecure and he covers for that with aggression and so he's incredibly abusive to everyone around him to cover up 
for his own insecurities and shortcomings. And I really, I really yeah. enjoy the energy that he brings to the kitchen because that fuels a lot of the carnage. Mm. And he's a guy who rages against the dying of the light as well. Yeah. He, he can see major changes coming to this thing that he's been incredibly infested in for the last, what, 20 years of his life, maybe even longer. And, you know, he, you know, he looks around him and there's, there's a, a lot here as well about the death of an industry or the death of neighborhoods and the, you know, the, 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 the death of local areas and local eateries. And, you know, he sees the world changing around him and it terrifies him to his core. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. The way that he, he processes that is by lashing out. Yeah. There is something to be said though. His role in the restaurant, other than to crackle through, as you say, and just cause carnage, he's front of house. So he's the person yes. who, and <laughs> he's a maitre to watch him in action is mesmerizing because he's the person that has the connection with the locals and the patrons he's the one that's asking questions about their lives as they come through the front door so it's really interesting what you're saying chris with the neighborhood stuff is he is that connection with the neighborhood and they're laughing and joking with him and getting along with him and it's just so funny that it can go from him stepping on people's toes getting people in people's faces he's got a gun concealed in the restaurant and yeah. then <laughs> and then but then he comes to the front of house and he's instantly warm and effusive and wants to know how people are doing and welcoming he knows everything about everyone yeah like he he's He's, he knows these people. He's like, hey, how are you yeah. doing? What, what, you know, what, what, what's going on with that thing? He remembers. Yeah. He remembers stuff. Yeah. So I think that is, uh, in terms of character development, it, as you say, everyone is so rounded and not always what they appear to be, but in really wonderful, surprising ways. I think that's why it's important to maybe watch the first three episodes as I did in a in a group the fact that they're only 30 minutes long means it's 90 minutes 90 minutes of your life mm. you just watch the three of them and then it gets you through the intensity and you know the, the, the strangeness of that first episode and then as i say by by the second and third episodes you know everything and one of the great things i think about the show is that it doesn't explain it doesn't it doesn't give you backstory it gives you backstory in increments it gives you backstory you know in in a piecemeal fashion but it also doesn't really give you the kitchen setup in a in a you know it doesn't there's no scene where someone does a powerpoint going right this is how huh. the kitchen works yeah. at least not for the first couple of episodes there, there there is a little bit towards the end but i love that i love the fact you dropped in you know, I had no idea that people shouted things like behind and corner and hands, you know, and because of course it makes sense that you're in this incredibly intense claustrophobic place. You're holding knives. You're, you're surrounded by flame. Mm. You know, you could you could injure or kill someone at any point in that situation. So you might as well let people know that you're there. I, I loved all that mm. stuff. Yeah, I completely agree. As I said, like the, the stuff I love about like Anthony, Anthony Bourdain's books are that real just plummeting you into this like world of culinary carnage. And I like shows as well that don't don't assume you know anything. Um, again, like Disney Plus's Andor, as I was saying in our review the other week, you are just like <laughs> dropped into that world and you're just like, okay, okay, I guess I've just got to try and like thrash until I can swim. And I think that is... Um, what you definitely do here is you're you're kind of plunged mm. into it and you've just got to get on with it, really. It's great. Yeah. And just a couple of last things about that. I mean, one of the things I love about it, the, you know, the first couple of episodes are written and directed by Christopher Storer. And then he, obviously he's a showrunner and he gives way to other writers and other directors, but it clearly has a, a very, very tight handle on the material. And I love how a lot of this is played out in very, very tight close-ups mm. and how, how expressive Jeremy Allen White's 
face is, even when the camera is just holding on him and he doesn't seem to be doing anything. Mm. And you just know exactly what he is thinking and what he's under because the man's under a mountain of pressure yeah. from all sides. Yeah, I mean, it is a vastly cinematic show. I've mentioned about how the food serves as a dialogue. Um, but I think there's almost like, I mean, we've said it's comedy, we've said it's drama. It's almost film like a thriller at times like the way that mm. it's edited the way that you're in this sort of close proximity with everybody it's so kinetic I think you know a kitchen as you said everyone's getting hands backs and corners and heads and shoulders and knees and toes and knees and toes yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> and it is it is uh it's so it's so kinetic, and I I haven't seen anything that Christopher Storr has done before. I haven't seen anything that Joanna Carlos done before, um, who have both written and well, Christopher's directed a few. Joanna's directed a few as well. I'm definitely going to seek out anything else they've done because it's so skilled in how it's able to capture that all happening. I cannot stress enough what an accomplishment that single shot episode is i mean it's a circus it's a circus of performances yeah. of characters that at this stage have been driven to the absolute edge so it's really heightened and amazing but <laughs> the fact the boiling point has come out shouldn't deter from the fact that this is an absolutely amazing episode of television i mean it's all great but to be able to put off something like that on top of an already incredibly shot and performed show is just it's just absolutely incredible. I, ca I can't say enough good things about the show. I really can't. Best use of a bear since The Edge? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> say it with me, Bob. Best. What, what do? Another do. Best use of a bear. Kill the bear. Oh, my God. Don't kill the bear. Watch the bear. <laughs> Is it the best use of a bear since that Winnie the Pooh horror film, maybe? That's oh, yet no, to be that's seen. Not, no, that's not, that's not going there. That's, that's awful. Yeah, it's um, pretty bad. Yes. It is. Uh, but yes, it's a great show visually, but it's also a great show musically and sonically. As as Beth said, there's a great use of Sophie and Stevens and Wilco. And I have to say, you know, R.E.M. and my favourite band uh, of all time. <laughs> and episode three, not to give too much away, but episode three ends with uh, one of their, I'd say, more obscure later album tracks, Oh My Heart, which is just this beautiful pay into, uh, well, New Orleans, but here artfully recalibrated for Chicago and it's about someone coming home and finding that the city that they once loved has been has been erased and it's just it's just gorgeous the soundtrack is fantastic I saw it described online as dad rock and no, I was furious no. for a good 10-15 minutes <laughs> well there's someone who loves Talking Heads and Sophie Stevens and is last time I checked not a dad um, I would have to strongly disagree with that all right Okay, there you go. So check it out. Check out The Bear, all eight episodes streaming from Wednesday, October 5th on Disney+. Plus. You can have it watched within four hours, folks. Four hours. Which is shorter than some full-length dramatic TV feature presentation shows. <laughs> so, you know. Which is shorter than some tasty menu experiences <laughs> as well. So you, you could have one of those. Jimbo will come around and he will give you 19 different pot noodles. <laughs> it's true. 
It's true. Yeah. Even the limited edition ones that they come out every now and then. There was a Marmite <laughs> one once. If there's one of those, I'll bring it. Anyway, on that note, that is it for this special crossover edition of the Empire Film Podcast and the Pilot TV Podcast in association, of course, with Disney+. Plus. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. And there's an interesting thing to look out for as well over the next week or so in that the family spaghetti recipe that you will see in the show, that they will that they cook in the show, that's going to be made real uh, over here. You can see everything about that uh, on Mob's social channels. So all of Mob's social channels next week. So keep an eye out and you can actually cook along as you watch the show. And then maybe shout hands at people. Yell at your family while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, have a, have a yell along a bear. That, that's a, I, I, that's, I'd love to have that experience. That sounds cathartic. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It sounds really cathartic. And then have a big old lovely sandwich at the end of it. Mm, lovely. Can't say fair than it. Or spaghetti. Or spaghetti. Uh, anyway, on that note, that is it. Time for me to wrap up and say goodbye to my two colleagues of such a lethal seasoning. <laughs> My two colleagues have such lethal seasoning. Beth Webb. Hello, thank you. Goodbye. I'm surprised. Did you say hello? Yeah, I didn't. Did you say hello? <laughs> yeah, I did. I said hello, thank you, goodbye. I'm sorry, you've missed a really good. You panicked, but I think you styled it out. Yes, I think so. I'm. I'm really disappointed that we've got to the end of this and you haven't once said yes, Beth, <laughs> instead of yes, chef. <laughs> missed the trick there. <laughs> we Beth, we Beth. I'll do that. How about All that? Right. You happy with yeah. that? All right. I will never say we, James, <laughs> to James Dyer. Goodbye, James Dyer. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm about to exit left, pursued by the bear. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>